Welcome to the Girls Who Gather podcast, a podcast spotlighting women's stories from a diverse range of backgrounds and stages of life, highlighting the ways they are building community, empowering other women, and walking out their calling. We are so glad that you decided to tune in. Our heart and our hope in launching this podcast is to begin extending the voice of Gather beyond just the physical spaces where we meet in our cities, campuses, and apartments. We want to make our content even more accessible to all of you. With an incredible diversity of feminine voices, we want to create a catalogue of stories, testimonies, inspirational content, and more that you and your friends can always return to for inspiration and empowerment. We will also be announcing Gather News, updates, and other exciting events coming up on this platform. So stay tuned for more from us as we journey through this next season together. And as you listen, we encourage you to lean in and learn from some truly incredible women. For today's episode and dialogue, we have another inspiring guest who embodies what it means to truly be a woman of action. New York City born, but now living and working out of Seattle. She is a mental health therapist working closely with youth and families facing isolating and challenging social hardships. She obtained her master's in clinical and mental health counseling from Wheaton College, and her work today involves specifically carrying out AAPI, or Asian American Pacific Islander, social justice advocacy, specifically using anti-racism education strategies and the empowerment of women entrepreneurs and voices in the business world. Her specialties lie in addressing the challenges of depression, anxiety, trauma, and recovery, while also acknowledging and seeing the importance of an individual's intersectional identities in their growth and development. In her free time between empowering youth and helping to strengthen individuals and community, she just enjoys being in nature, spending time with her sweet pup Pepper and her husband, and watching a host of movies and TV shows. We are so grateful that she is with us today. Please welcome Miss Tina Choi Chang. Thank you. What a what a crazy welcome. I'm like, dang, I feel good. <laughs> celebrate so we yourself. do here. We empower, we celebrate. Yes. I love it. There's plenty to celebrate with you, Tina. No shortage. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so we like to start usually our podcast by talking about the upbringing of our guests. So what we hear, you are a New York City born and bred gal and you were raised yes. there. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what your upbringing was like, a little bit more of your story and how that shaped what you're doing today? Sure. I love that you start with that because I really think upbringing and where we grew up and who we grew up with definitely shapes and, and changes a person. Um, so yeah, I was uh, born and raised in New York City. I am a second generation Chinese American. Uh, my parents immigrated here to New York um, around the 70s. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of my upbringing with them was definitely with the immigrant mentality of, you know, we worked so hard to bring you mm-hmm. here and we sacrificed so much so um, you can have a better life and a better mm-hmm. future. Um and that was really great, but also a lot of pressure that mm. um, they would put on on their kids, you know, for us growing up. Um, I grew up as a middle child, so I also have mm. an older sister and a younger brother. Um, and I learned a, a lot from them, but I think we all felt that pressure to like, okay, well, we have to succeed, you know, we have yeah. to... Um, we have to be scrappy. We have to like get what we can and do what we mm. can with what we get, you know, from the world or from the majority here. Oh. Um, 
yeah, so it was a lot of, you know, just work hard, work hard and you'll get it and you'll succeed. Um, it wasn't until later, you know, when you grow up uh, as a teenager or even now as an adult, you realize that's not the full story. Like, yeah. uh, you know, they don't tell you what it's like to be a minority in, you know, a, a white world you know, and um, how to get success from there, or how to even find your own success and your own calling. Um, but yeah, and, you know, on top of that, there is also living in the city and yeah. <laughs> Both of you know, New York City oh. is hard. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Actually, <Yes. laughs> it's hard. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's. Yeah. I was. I love this phrase that I I use to describe myself. I think I was definitely sheltered in diversity, mm-hmm. where everything is diverse. People I've met were diverse. You know, you see all kinds of things happening in New York. Very true. Yeah, but it's also a lot. It's overwhelming. It's easy to feel lonely. It's, um, you know, isolating. It's hard to find people you truly connect with and mm-hmm. can do life with. Um, and so growing up in that right in the heart of it is um, interesting. I think it's shaped me a lot to value diversity and also at the same time value connection and um, times where I can find solitude and, um, you know, connect with myself as well. Um, so yeah, I would say, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I love kind of what you're saying, you know, connection and solitude. I think those are really huge shapers of our development as human beings, whether we're doing that in isolation or whether we're doing that in a, in a rich community space that looks monolithic, that looks diverse. Um, And so I want to ask you, um, you know, I think, and of course, your profession being in the mental health space and in therapy, how do you think that being in New York and being in a space where it's that crowded loneliness put into tension with like sensory overload, how do you feel like that helps uh, develop you as a person or I guess challenge your development as a person for you, but also some of the conversations you've had with maybe patients and colleagues in that space? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it challenges me to realize how much I need people, Mm. (laughs) um, how much I need others. And, um, it also helped me just reflect more. I think, Mm. think about my own strengths, my own gifts, how I want to grow, what I want to become. Um, I think having that, um, reflection time by yourself, even in, in the midst of a busy city is so important. And I think has taught me to grow in that way. And and I've learned to grow in that way. Um, at the same time, I think being in a city also makes it kind of easy to, to see different kinds of people. And so, you know, reaching out to find a specific niche or a specific community, in New York, I feel like you can find it, you know, um, search it up on Craigslist, go on Facebook, um, on Instagram. Right. And yeah. And, and so I think being in a city can, if you want it, like you can find it or you can make it yourself. Like you all have, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess then what, for you personally, Tina, what led you to pursue like mental health therapy, you know, as a profession and, and, engaging people struggling with some of these tensions that you just talked about, like trying to find that space for self to develop, but also plugging in and and finding that community. It's almost sometimes looking for a needle in a haystack, but what for you led you into your professional field today? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, going into college, I didn't know what I wanted to study in. And when I finally came across psychology courses, I loved it. And now looking back, I realized I loved it because it felt so true to me and my own experiences growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I've definitely had my fair share of depression and mm-hmm. anxiety and trauma that has happened to me that I was finally able to understand more of when I took these courses in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I loved it. I realized I was good at it. Um, and so I just wanted to see where it would bring me. And it wasn't until um, I actually also became a Christian, a woman of faith in college. And I had this whole realm of what healing was like and what recovery looked like. And I was like, wow, this is beautiful. And the more I witnessed people healing from generations of trauma or generations Mm -hmm. of curses or, or things that they've been in pattern with. Um, Mm -hmm. I was like, this is amazing. Like, I can't believe this is possible. Um, and I wanted to be part of that process. I wanted to witness that as people, you know, live their life. I want to witness their healing and, and be a part of that no matter what part I play. Um, and so after graduation, I learned about counseling. I learned about what that would look like. And that's when I started applying to different programs. And the more I learned about it, the like clearer it got to me, you know, I um. think it just made sense. It really felt like puzzle pieces were falling into place. Um, mm-hmm. And it was clear. It was clear. And and then I just went into it. <laughs> so, yeah. awesome. so awesome. Do you want to speak a little bit more to um, just how you became a woman of faith and, and kind of what that looked like for you in college? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think college is such a transformational time. Yeah. Um you know, especially at that range, age range, like even developmentally, like that's such a big part of identity shaping and forming. Um, And a friend of mine actually just invited me to church one day, invited me to go into like a community, a gathering, you know? (laughs) Um, And I was like, okay, that sounds fun. There's food, there's people, right? I mean, how can you refuse? (laughs) as a college student, you want to make friends. You want to, you want to, you know, get to know people. Um, And so I went in thinking, oh, okay, it's not going to be a big deal. It's not super crazy. Um, And, you know, I learned more about it and I was like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing. (laughs) Um, But it touched my heart because I think um, the more I heard about what Christianity was who God is really I think it was just like the character of God and I was like wow drawn to that mm-hmm. and she then invited me to go on this retreat it was only like a few weeks after I started going to these gatherings you know um and I went on this retreat and there was a time where you know there's a night of prayer and our pastor was kind of going around um praying for folks And people were very intentional, you know, people were using their gifts, people were speaking in tongues. But for me, as a new believer, I was like, what is going on? I was terrified. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I didn't know it was my first exposure to all of this. Um, But it, it wasn't until the pastor came, he started praying for me. I was so scared. Um, 
But he told me something that to this day, I will never forget. And Mm -hmm. that is um, even before all of this, every time I would, as a teenager, every time I had one of my dark moments or a low moment, Mm -hmm. for some reason, every time I closed my eyes, I've always had this vision. And it was a vision of me in this dark hole. I'm digging and I hit a pit and it's dark all around me. I'm all alone. And it's this like sadness that overcomes me. Mm. But every time in this vision, um, I see a light that comes into this hole and I see a hand. I see a hand Mm. that comes out to me, reaches out and kind of just pulls me right up and out of the hole. And, you know, this person tells me, hey, you're not alone and you don't have to be Um, come with me and like you won't ever need to be alone again, you know? And um, he gives me this like big hug, this like loving hug. Um, And yeah, I would get this, I would get this vision or at least parts of it every time I had my low moments. And so flash forward, I'm in this retreat and we're praying and I'm thinking, okay, I'll just close my eyes. Um, And this vision comes up. um, And as the pastor comes and prays for me, he's literally telling me, Hey, I think God is saying that he wants to pull you out of that hole and he wants to embrace you and you're never going to be alone again. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And imagine me, I'm like, I've never told anyone this. How is this this possible? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And he prayed and I just fell down on my knees. I cried Mm. because I was like, what is this? Um, Who is this God? Like, who is this Jesus? And um, I was just touched that he would even do that. He would, he would go to this length, like so many years later, you know, of this yeah. vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, it was kind of like an es- exponential growth. Like I wanted to know more about who this God was, um, yeah. what faith meant, what love meant, um, yeah. and all of that. And so that's kind of how everything shifted. It was like night and day, you know, wow. that's so mm-hmm. beautiful. And it sounds like, you know, I think there's two beautiful parts of you that you're describing Um, already. It's just like you grew up, you know, Chinese American and there's tension there. But then also you're this woman of faith. And I mean, I think it's we're all created with a different sort of story that God is writing. But I know for myself, knowing that I have my identity as an African-American woman, but also being a woman of faith who loves God, who wants to reach up and touch his heart and 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 speak to people from that place of love. Sometimes those two identities do clash. And and sometimes I have questions when I stand between those two places. And so I wanted to ask you now, you know, the work that you do with families in the AAPI community, the, you know, Asian American Pacific Islander community. Um, what are some personal professional reasons why you wanted to specifically work with this population? And then how has your faith informed the level and the manner of the work that you do? Mm-hmm. Um when I learned that this population, Asian American Pacific Islander population is one of the lowest reporting groups to actually talk about mental health or report about violence that goes on at home. You know, I think domestic violence is a huge thing, but it's underreported. You know, it happens so often, but not a lot of people talk about it. So there's Mm -hmm. that theme of silence and shame 
and bringing honor to the family so you can't air out your dirty laundry. Wow. Um, yeah. And so there's a lot of that, especially with this group um, or with this population. And, you know, personally, I've experienced it and I've seen so many of my friends. So I'm like, this is this is a thing. This is statistically a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've seen that. I've also seen high rates of like depression and suicidality among this um this population, especially with youth. Um, and like I said, a lot of assault, a lot of domestic violence, mm. um, a lot of those kind of things that have come up, but nobody really talks about it. Aren't a lot of professionals that deal with this community. Mm. Um, and so I wanted, I wanted to be there. I was like, wow, I have this, like you said, kind of this bridge in a sense of, mm-hmm. yes, being able to speak in a different language and like translate things to mm-hmm. the Chinese community, yet also apply, you know, all this knowledge that I've learned, all the techniques, all those things that can provide healing or at least aid in that. Um, yeah. And- what do you feel that some of the tensions have been for you, I guess, in that process of finding the, you know, the strategies, the language to speak to people's pain, you know, knowing what you do about, you know, your faith, but also the reality that people are facing navigating being a minority in a country like the United States, in a community like the Chinese American or the Asian American or the AAPI at large community? Yeah, I mean, I would say a lot of the tensions is the fact that I am Asian American, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not fully Asian and I'm not fully, Mm -hmm. I guess, American in that sense. Um, And I think having to hold the fact that, yeah, suffering happens, um, there's pain there, but also instilling hope, like that's so hard. Um, That's so hard to validate someone's pain, especially as a minority group. Mm-hmm. And still say, hey, there's going to be hope. There's going to be a time where you won't need to suffer anymore or um, even changes now. Like it's so easy to be um, cynical and pessimistic about what's going on in the world now. Yeah. Um, so I think that tension comes from trying to instill that hope or even see recovery and see resilience um, and believe in that. I think for me, that's that's really hard. Um and also the privilege of being so educated and and so well versed in English, I think, for me and my Chinese community, it's it's so hard to relate to them in that way because mm-hmm. they'll see me as just kind of an outsider as well. Right. Um, and so, uh, even just speaking to youth who come from a different background than me and families who come from a different background, That's it's hard to even develop that relationship at first knowing that already politically, demographically, socially, there are so many differences that make it hard to trust, you know? Wow. Yeah. That's good. So good. Um, and I, I want to talk about, you know, something that I think Noelle and I have been having a lot of conversations about um, in terms of allyship and just what it means to kind of come alongside and support another community that, that isn't necessarily yours or you don't have experience, you know, belonging to, but mm-hmm. um, just curious, what does like interracial, inter, inter-ethnic allyship like mean to you and, and, um, and the work that you do and 
how can, you know, I think all of us, because all of us belong to different communities, but all of us mm-hmm. can be allies for the betterment of each, you know, each community and, and the elevating of all voices. So what, um, yeah, what does that mean to you? And how would you just maybe encourage us and our listeners to uh, be allies and um, participate in that? Yeah. 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 That's a great question. I think for me, um, cause I can speak to myself, right. Um, as an Asian American, I think acknowledging that we can't stay silent anymore. Right. Um, even speaking to my parents about racism or violence that happens, um, is such a big step and it's mm-hmm. such an important step to acknowledge in the family. Um, I would say also for me, thinking about it with humility and yeah. intentionality and love, like those are three words that come to mind. I, mm-hmm. to me, I, I just want to love well and love people well. And that means understanding where they're coming from, um, doing my homework, right? Like mm-hmm. figuring things out in terms of looking things up myself or mm-hmm. reading books that I wouldn't normally read, but is important to mm-hmm. other ethnic groups or, or other communities, um, mm-hmm. right? Like really understanding where they're coming from and what their values and beliefs are. And then how can I love this person well? You know, does that mean spending time with them? Does that mean advocating and like speaking up um, in group settings or with my family? Does that mean, um, you know, questioning where I live, questioning my friend group? Um, Am I being intentional about that? Am I being intentional about um, talking about certain issues or, um, you know, being in different communities and learning? Um, Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Very helpful. Um, Kind of transitioning to... uh, back to kind of um, just your job and what you've experienced. But I, I worked um, the past few years with different anti-human trafficking organizations. And so doing that kind of work while it's really, you know, important and incredible and have been, they've been amazing experiences, but that kind of heaviness in the content of the work mm-hmm. of what we were doing in the, I mean, for me, it's sec- kind of secondhand trauma, I guess, of hearing these stories all the time, working really um, in depth with, research and information and data that had to do with some really vile and awful things going on in the world. Um, but I think at a certain point, like last summer, I was working for, for an organization and um, was doing just work really around sexual violence against children and um, didn't really ever take the time to like process through what that actually meant. And at a certain mm-hmm. point in the summer, it's kind of like, I just, it's something triggered me and I just like was mm-hmm. waiting on the subway and just, I think, I think I really had to learn, have to learn to continue to learn to do that. When you do that kind of work, when you're dealing a lot with, with um, just this kind of content, that's really heavy and these people's experiences that aren't yours, but that you're having a really firsthand, um, firsthand witness to, you know, you have to learn how to not take that home with you, but how to process it and how to be healthy with that kind of, with this kind of job. And so I'm just wondering, mm-hmm you know, you deal every day with those living with depression and anxiety who've been through trauma and um, who are in recovery. And and I'm sure that can be really heavy work. Um, And so how have you learned to not take that heaviness home with you um, and to be healthy about how you, how you do your work? I'm just really curious about, about that. 
Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think that's so important. And it is something not a lot of people realize that impacts you also, like secondary trauma. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, For me, I... I value, I always tell this to people, I value the importance of having a therapist. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, I made it a point wherever I move to or wherever I go, I need to find a therapist first, you know, (laughs) it's like therapist and also try to find a community, you know? Um, And I think having a therapist um, talking things through with her after a week of a session, you know, with other youth and people who have experienced violence, um, I think being able to process that with another professional um, is so helpful in my healing um, and in my journey with with kids um, and families. I think also something I've learned is that trauma lodges in your body. and it affects you whether you realize it or not. Yes. And so, you know, learning movement, learning how to physically do things with my body that feels good and like is rejuvenating has been helpful. Like mm. obviously um, doing stretches or any kind of movement, dancing. Um, for me, I love doing aerial yoga and oh wow yeah yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> so I love I once when I discovered that I was like this is it this is this is going to be my thing and so yeah. um that really helps in terms of just taking care of myself and um, understanding a lot of the trauma isn't mine you know mm-hmm. and I'm just here you know oh. to shed a light on it and advocate for it um and I think also importantly, consulting and talking with other people and being able to talk and joke around with my other friends who are in the field is amazing and immensely helpful. Um, Also, just being in a group of friends that just don't even talk about this field at all is also helpful just to feel like you have a life outside of that. Um, And that's funny, you know, and having fun and um, enjoying that. I think people definitely have an impact and, and groups of people can definitely help me as well. So wow. yeah. Earlier in our discussion, Tina, I love how you mentioned kind of intergenerational trauma and and how a lot of that pain does travel across time and across bodies. Um, it can become something that's inherited. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think for me, you know, in my in my community, my black community diaspora, and, and having gone and studied abroad and lived abroad in Ghana last year of all years, it was the year of return, um, which kind of marked the 400 years since the first slave ship departed to Jamestown, mm-hmm. to, the, to the new world from the old world, so to speak. And I think that was the first time there was a, so many elements at play for me, I think, being a Christian myself, uh, being a black American woman whose family heritage comes from the South, one of you know, the largest locations that the Atlantic slave trade took place on the eastern seaboard in South Carolina. But I think also you added I added the physical component of being in that space of a past trauma. Mm. I was not in these holding cells. I was not in these these prisons myself when these events were happening, but I was treading the stones that somebody else's blood was shed, mm. potentially my own great great grandmother, you know, these people whose lives were altered in such a dramatic and traumatic way. And so it's like I couldn't help but feel almost like this invisible burden was on my shoulders. This like weight was pressing on my chest. And it's like, I don't like how as a professional, but also as a woman of faith, like 
how do you deal statically but dynamically with ongoing trauma like trauma that you didn't choose to inherit but it's on you it's on your life and you have to choose whether or not you will engage it or you won't whether you're killing yeah. you're carrying it forward towards the next generation after you or whether it's going to kind of die with you or you're going to sow into new soil like I, I just would love to hear you speak to that mm-hmm. um I think exactly what you just said naming mm-hmm. it calling mm-hmm. it out identifying where it's coming from and what Mm -hmm. it is. I think those Mm -hmm. are like the first and amazing steps and useful steps that people can use to not only defeat the trauma, but understand it more. Like it's not Mm -hmm. some um, unknown entity that is a part of our lives. It's right. It's not an Mm -hmm. unknown burden, although it feels very invisible, but um, there is a cause there is, an origin to it. And I think recognizing that, right. And naming it is so key. So many people don't even know what that is, um, what they're feeling, you know, the heaviness or a darkness, they don't know where it's coming from. We don't know where it, what it is. And so I think even putting a name to it, calling it out, like this is generational and I, I refuse to let it go into the next generation. So let's learn about it. Let's, um, let's talk about it. And I think shedding that kind of light on that is, is tremendous. I think it does, it does abounds in terms of like healing and recovering um, from that. Yeah. So I think you even calling that out is, is amazing. Thank you. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think I love to, when you, when you take trauma, you name it, you reframe it, and it becomes maybe the fuel or the the new lens through which you're seeing a potential solution or the next steps forward. Um, so yeah, I just thank you. That's like a personal inquiry, I guess I have, and I'm sure right. people listening, you know, in the times we live in and times before, this is an age old question. I think people will have to wrestle with. Yeah. But we also, you know, I well, I we identify as women, and so you yeah. know, women also just at large, I think in our times we face a lot of unique challenges and I think there's this rise in, in this recognized need to empower each other. Um, and so I wanted to say, you know, that's the heart of gather. That's why we're here. That's why we gather is to empower yeah. and to amplify the voices of women, but to also break chains on, mm-hmm. on things or false truths that get a hold of us. And so we also know you're an advocate for the female voice um, specifically in the business world. And so I just would love to hear you talk more about why this is important to you and your, your professional journey. Yeah. Um, I think there's so much wisdom and beauty to being someone who identifies as a female or folks who identify as women. I think there's so much that got missed or taken out, you know, mm-hmm. over history and over time. Um, and I just love being able to, amplify that for others um, as, you know, other people have done for me, right? I think I've seen so much change in my friend being able to encourage me or to be like, oh, you actually have a gift in that. So why don't you use that more? It's like, oh, okay. I didn't realize that. (laughs) Um, Sure. Yeah. (laughs) So I, I don't know. I think there's, there's, there's so much power when two or more gather, right? Or um, I think in terms of what we offer as women, um, I hate that it gets overlooked. I hate that it gets tarnished or dampened um, because 
I've experienced so much with that um, in terms of women gathering and empowering each other. And it's, it's just so much better. Um, It's so much um, stronger. And, you know, professionally, I think I work with a lot of youth in school who want to learn about healthy relationships, right? Or um, a lot of my clients who are female have shared they've had sexual assault experiences. Mm -hmm. And the when I see my groups or other youth who are women get together and they're like, no, I won't stand for this. Or mm-hmm. yeah, I want to share my story and I want to use my voice. I want to use what I have been given to encourage and empower others. I think that's, I've seen beautiful things happen, right? Like healing occurs in that moment. Um, mm-hmm. When they're like, I refuse to believe what society is telling me what's like to be a woman, or I refuse Mm -hmm. to let um, my abuser or a perpetrator define me and ruin all the wisdom and and magic I have in me. Um, And to see young people do it, I'm like, wow, like, I want to be able to do that with, with everyone. Uh, Mm -hmm. So good. Yeah. Um, And we, you know, I also just want to talk about just like being being a woman in your profession, in your field, as a just someone who is leading the charge in um, just what you do, have you experienced? Um, what's been your experience as a as a woman in, in leadership, either just in your job or in the world at large? Have you found that um, you know there have been some tensions in in that, or um, yeah, what do you what do you have to say about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think. Um... Definitely. In the agency I work in now, um, there definitely is strange power dynamics that go Mm -hmm. on, you know, Um, even though a lot of us are counselors and mental health professionals, if let's say other men and other people in power, um, they don't necessarily still see you as like an equal counterpart, you know, Mm -hmm. or there are certain things that still, you know, men get a pass on or, Mm. Oh, um, certain people don't need to take a a training on sexual assault, but us women, yeah, we have to, you know, Um, even like nuances like that, right. Mm. Where it's not equal. Um, and so me just, just being who I am and wanting to empower that, I think it's hard to, change when you encounter like barriers that are in the workplace that have been so structural Mm. and um, so hard to break. Um, And so that's been a challenge. I think that's still something I'm learning about, like how to really speak up against that or even point it out or recognize it. There have been so many times where it's totally missed, missed my mind, you know? Mm. Um, But it's, it's little things like that. Um, but at the same time, as, as a therapist, it's so unique because you can also work on your own and be independent and start your own practice yeah. and um, do your your own thing in a sense, which I think is amazing. It's ultimately what I want to do. Yeah. Um, but there's so much like power and, and strength in that where I have people, a lot of women who have started practices on their own and their own individual business and um, I can look at that and be inspired and, 
and um, feel like they're paving the way for me to do that too in the future. You were amazing. You had some incredible just words of wisdom. I'm like soaking it all in, um, thinking about the way that I process my identity and trauma and all that stuff. Um, so thank you so much for your time. Um, we love to just wrap up all of our time with um, just asking you one last question. Um, what is a parting piece of advice that you would give to women listening on how to be a woman of action? So based on your story, based on what you've set out to do, what would you want to say to our girls um, on how to just mobilize? They see a need and they go after it. Um, yeah. What, what advice, what parting piece of advice do you have for us? Yeah. <laughs> I would say it's never too late to start ever. I think if you feel very strongly about something that you want to start and do, like do it, like try it out. Um, It's never too late. And I think another thing that comes to mind when I say that is have those people who are championing you and um, encouraging you, have those people come along, tell them, um, have them be able to speak into your life as you venture out on whatever you want to start. And it's okay if it doesn't stay the same for the next like 50, 60 years. Um, it's, it's going to change probably, you know, um, and that's okay. Um, but never too late to start. And it's never too late to like get out of isolation and involve people into your life. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter where you are, I think uh, you can, find people of all walks of life wherever you go. Um, and there's power in that. And, um, it's also never too late to get a therapist. I think if you want to start, (laughs) if you want to start something like get some backup, you know, if, if you notice yourself going down, um, different spirals or, or different stressors, like it's, it's always just so great to have someone who, you can talk to and and can be part of your healing journey in that too. So I definitely would encourage others to do that too. It's never too late. It's never too late. Mm -hmm. Well, the wisdom has been so sweet and so needed in this conversation with you, (laughs) Tina. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. It was an honor. It's been just such a joy to have you on the call with us and uh, to just hear you speak about your experiences and I think normalizing some things that, you know, many of our listeners, I'm sure, sensations and tensions and questions, regardless of our identity and our makeup, I think we've all experienced a measure of those. Um, and in the times we live in, it's tricky. Our society is tricky. Having these conversations with family or outwardly facing with friends and other people in our world, it's tricky. But so much of what you said and so much of this conversation is a reminder. We have to keep pressing into it. We have to keep leaning into it. And I think also leaning on people that keep championing us in that as well. So again, we're just so grateful that you took the time out of your busy schedule to be with yeah. us. And we are excited to just continue to follow you in the work that you do. To all our listeners, thank you once again for tuning in. We hope you feel loved and encouraged by today's content. Be sure to stay tuned for more of our exciting updates and gather news on our Instagram at Girls Who Gather, as well as our website www.thegirlswhogather.com. Also remember to share and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Be on the lookout for exciting season updates and announcements, merch, media, meetups, and more. There is always something for you to be involved in and a place for you to belong. You are so loved. Until next time, bye gather girls.